Yo, 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 welcome to Crate 808. Today, we're diving back into our series, looking at the greatest three-album runs in hip-hop, and today's one is big, it's massive. We are tackling three records from a very special crew with a very special guest on board. We dive into the Hieroglyphics catalogue with none other than Hiro producer and manager Domino in the house. How are you doing, my man? I'm doing well, I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good, man. Blessed to have you on. So the run, I know people think we're cheating here, because we usually go by artists but when you suggested this on the email which was Nightly Till Infinity No Need for Alarm and Fear Itself I'm not going to say no to that yeah Domino wants to talk about these three records I'm in but before we jump in I've got to ask you what I ask everyone who comes on the show Domino what is the least hip hop thing you've done in the last 24 hours least hip hop thing I've done in the last 24 hours <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question probably the, le- the least hip hop thing that I had to do in the last 24 hours was discussed with my son why he didn't eat his lunch uh, that I made for him yesterday. And so, Are you the kind of dad then that, I don't know if I'm just being petty myself, I've got a little kid, he's only four though. When I make that lunch and I've took time to really go in you know, it's got a lot of love in there and he doesn't eat it. I feel like a personal affront. I feel like he's insulted me a little bit. Are you the kind of dad that's kind of to let it chill or are you more like... Yeah, no, I mean, I could see what you're saying because you know what? I got to get up early and I usually like start making it before where they're up. And so, yeah, it definitely is like kind of like a little bit of a sensitive spot when you when your kids like don't eat it or, you know, I, I remember I got a funny story. Uh, my stepdaughter, you know, I used to make her lunch for a long time, you know, before she went to school. And then somehow, like years later, I don't know if she showed it to us or her mom came across like some little diary thing. Yeah. And she she wrote in it how much she hated my turkey sandwiches. Oh, no. <laughs> but she was afraid to say. Oh, and so, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, dang, you know, all those months and months of, of waking up early to make turkey sandwiches. And all, <laughs> you know, lo and behold, it, I, she hated them and would, would toss them. Oh, so, you know. I feel for you, dad to dad. I yeah. feel for you right there. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah. turkey sandwiches, as well, like Domino's turkey sandwiches, just sound like they should be a chain. I'd eat there. Bless her, man. Oh, bless. And you know what? She didn't even tell you. That's the cutest thing. That's like, oh, she didn't yeah. even tell she you. Did, she felt like she didn't want to hurt my feelings. That's big. And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I couldn't be too mad, you know, but, yeah. you know, you know, but, you know, I was like, boy, you could have saved me a lot of time and a, a lot of money if you would have just told me, you know. <laughs> Lesson learned. You know. Lesson learned, my yeah. friend. I mean, jumping into Souls of Mischief and the Bay Area, for someone who may not know, could you maybe define the Oakland and Bay Area kind of like scene? What was the music there? What was the spirit like there? Well, I think at the time um, that these records, or at least leading up to these records were were made, the, most of the Bay Area music sound, at least from a hip hop standpoint, was more kind of like known for its mob, gangster, pimp rap, you know? And so that was the majority of stuff that had gotten, had, had came to light at least, which was like too short, rapping forte. And, um, you know, there were some exceptions like Digital Underground, but for the most part, if you have to talk about the general Bay Area sound, I think that most people would, would say that it was like mob music, gangster rap. I think that was the more prevalent stuff that people knew the Bay for. And so we were kind of a, a, a little bit of different, a different flavor when we came about. What do you think it was that flavor? What made you stand out from that crowd? Like, could you pinpoint it now, like looking back at it? I think it was just that we were different. You know what I mean? I think that anytime that you can be different and do something well, but be different, I think people will be attracted to it. 
people were like, oh, and a lot of people didn't know we were from the Bay Area either because our sound wasn't, like I said, part of the quote unquote Bay Area sound. Mm -hmm. And so we offered a, a, a different take on it. It's a true assessment that it had a little bit more of an East Coast style leaning because I think that was the stuff that most of the guys in Hyro were listening to and influenced by. Mm -hmm. You know, they were listening to short and they were listening to, to other things from the Bay. But I think as far as stylistic influences, I think that the a lot of the stuff that was coming out of, out of the East Coast and, and LA, of course, was a little bit more of, of the influence of where we were taking our music. And they also had a passion for hip hop that I felt like I had. You know, I felt like um, I, I had an instant kinship with them because, because of that. You know, it was like they were super enthusiastic and super talented. And, I, and that's how I felt about hip hop and doing music. And then, you know, I felt like my beats, I could add to them what I was doing. Because at the time, they were just MCs and a couple of them produced, but I was the only one who was just a producer who kind of got linked up with them. You know, they were super young too. Like I was a little older or I am a little older. Mm. Um, at that time, you know, they were like 17, 18 years old and I was like 22, maybe. They were in high school. And so they were, you know, I think Dell wasn't in high school anymore, but I think the rest of them were. And so, you know, they still had that youthful teenager yeah. exuberance about everything. Now that we've heard that brilliant breakdown of the high road crew from Domino, we got to check in with my guy, Alaska Adams, from one of my favorite podcasts out there, Call Out Culture. Alaska dropped us his thoughts on this monumental run and how its fault lines can be still seen to this day. This three album run was a super impressive run. If you were a rapper at the time, like somebody that was coming up through the underground scene, this was very much one of the crews that you emulated, especially if you had a bigger crew yourself. You know, there was the, the wild group dynamic of Souls of Mischief. And then you had like the elder statesman of Dell, who, you know, was probably like, what, 24 at the time, but he seemed like he was elder statesman because he'd been around for a minute. He had the little like vocal appearance in uh, Fuck the Radio on America's Most Wanted, where he's like this DEL from 3838 Twin Oaks Way. I'm calling to say, fuck the radio. And then Casual. Casual was like, he just blew on the scene like he was this force to be reckoned with. And, and he was. The wild shit about it is all these albums dropped within six months of each other. This was a time where people were like, the West Coast doesn't have spitters. Like nobody on the West Coast is killing it. And then out of nowhere, you have these three records drop that had production that rivaled any of the East Coast production at that time. Like anybody that tells you different is lying to you. The, the production there was in a lot of ways better than a lot of the East Coast production that was happening because it, it incorporated, you know, some of like the shit that was coming out of the West Coast. Like it was an amalgamation of the two styles coming in together. Uh, and then you had these rappers. Like, I mean, you know, there's not a single bad rapper in that group. Every single rapper is amazing. You could listen to the Souls of Mischief album and have a, a different favorite rapper every time you listen to that album. This is Dell like peak, like multi-syllable Dell right here. Like I'm, I'm more of like a diehard wish my brother George was here Dell fan, but this one, like you couldn't deny the technical prowess of Dell on this record. And this was a record I think that got him like over to like people wanting to be like down with the automator, the shit he did with gorillas. Like this is, this is the foundation of the Dell that we know today. And then casual was just murder and shit. Like, you know, you're whacking. It's all your fault. It was just like, boom. Like this was like the gauntlet thrown. So, so this crew was hyper important to the development of lyrical and underground hip hop, especially underground hip hop. Like they, they are the blueprint 
to me for what became like the the indie underground revival of the late 90s and early 2000s like you don't have deaf jokes you don't have living legends you don't have rhyme sayers you don't have any of that shit that popped up during that time period getting to where it was or even being as skilled or nice as it was without these dudes just love that and just as alaska said these guys were bona fide spitters and if you need any more proof of that outside of their actual music listen to how two all-time greats see the hyro crew as andre 3000 from outcast broke down to rick rubin on the broken record podcast me and eminem we sat on the phone about an hour <laughs> talking about hieroglyphics crew like how those words and we were trading like though their lyrics yes. on the phone yes. like do you remember man like they sparked so much they opened up a new door for everybody just imagine listening to that hour-long conversation with eminem and andre 3000 incredible and as three stack says it hyro did open a new door for hip-hop artists their rap styles and bending of words was unreal and opio has gone on record himself saying that the art of freestyling and vocabulary itself was a huge deal for those guys but now let's go back to domino as he dives into what made these three albums just so special well one thing i want to point out and this is the reason why i mentioned these three records is that these three records were all made at the same time. We were all in the studio together at the same time. Mm. And so that's why I felt like it would be a good run to, to discuss because they came out at different times, but they were literally all recorded at the same time. And so Dell was starting his second No Need for Alarm. So while he's starting it in the studio, he has these lockouts for week-long lockouts. He's started started recording No Need for a Long, whether well, it was untitled at the time. And then the Souls and Casual are just finishing up their deals with Jive Records, right? And so there was a holdup with their deals being finished because Tajay at the time was under 18. And so they had to get court approval on their contract. And Casual was also a, under 18. So they had to get he had to get a court approval for his solo contract. And so meanwhile, Dell's in the studio recording. So Dell does about maybe eight to 10 songs. And then he sends a tape down to Ice Cube and, um, you know, to check out how it's going. Ice Cube doesn't like what he's come up with, right? Mm -hmm. And so instantly there's a freeze on the studio time to be able to um, figure out what he's going to do. There's all this studio time. And then I, I come up, I say, hey, you know, we'll be good. Why don't we, you know, since the studio time's free, frozen and it's already paid for for the most part why don't we start doing our records our casual souls and casual why don't we start doing the records you know be, with this time that's just sitting there not being you and so then we start doing the songs that we had initially demoed and there was a bunch of songs that the souls had demoed and casual had demoed that a they got signed either they got signed for or just were on the demos and so let's see um for souls Cab Fair was obviously one for sure. one of the songs. I, I demoed a song called Live and Let Live. We did that on a demo. Mm -hmm. There was a song called Souls of Mischief that was a different version that we had demoed that we went in to record. There was a song called Batting Practice. <laughs> The original that, that, that wasn't the original, right? It was the original that didn't end up getting used because of the sample clearance. Mm. 
But um, so there was a bunch of songs that we had demoed already. And so we went in there, same with Casual, Follow the Funk, uh, Losing the End. This is at the same time. And so this is like literally, you know, one day it'd be, we'd be in there for souls or maybe even on the same day, we'd be doing a couple of soul songs or then we do some casual songs a little later. And then eventually Dell starts coming back in too. And the only song that made it through from the, the initial 10 songs that were recorded, I think, or eight to 10 songs was In and Out, which is in one ear, right? Not That's the, the only yeah. one from the demo that made it onto the record. He the deleted rest the rest. He's deleted them. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> what happened was when he went in, he got there before me and he and when so we started again, he goes, you know, go go over all the, the other reels, which when I got there, I like was like, pulled my like, what the hell? Because, you know, to me, there are great songs. Yeah. And some of them, some of them survived via the fact that we had uh, we had took rough versions of them home when they were first being recorded. And so if you go to if you listen to like the Hyrule Oldies, there's like Hyrule Oldies series that we mm-hmm. put out. There's a song called Neighborhood. That was one of the songs that was on that initial demo. When I'm in your neighborhood, I will ask a favor. Could I get a tin sack or they thin or fat? On a Wednesday, all my friends stay close. I post on the corner. I could be a corner on a bad night. And if I had right, I got about a hundred things to do. And I might. I see niggas looking pitiful and score at the world. Before I had a girl, I would whirl around on the bus and discuss my dusty round style. And thrust it through miles without smiles. Um, there's a song called um, What Do You Say? There may be one or two others that kind of like survived. <laughs> Ultimately, yeah, he he had went over those songs, at least on the reels. And so they only existed on cassette versions after that, yeah. except for that one song. You know? <laughs> and I guess I don't know why that one said maybe Cube liked that one. Maybe mm. that was the one he did like. That's amazing to hear the sheer hustle of this crew capitalising on getting studio time. But now, let's talk 93 Till Infinity, the classic song by the group that was previously known as Rhythm and Excellence and Mad Circle, but made a historical impact on music as Souls of Mischief. The track itself has gone on to transcend time, showcasing four unique talents with God-tier lyricism, even inspiring legendary electronic artists like Fortet, who named it his second favourite record flip ever, this song became a rite of passage and a passport for all hip-hop heads in the world. So before we dive back in with Domino on how this classic anthem has grown over time, here's Souls of Mischief member Opio on Vlad TV talking about why 93 Till Infinity pushed the envelope with its truly universal appeal. Really, once we were in the studio, we recorded that song. Like, even just hearing the beat, we were like, oh, this is crazy. But when it was done, and we sat and was chilling in the studio listening, we were kind of like, okay, we got something here. This is good. This is something that we felt that universally people would could enjoy from all kind of different aspects. You know, people that weren't necessarily hardcore hip-hop heads like us, you know what I mean? That wanted something just very complex and avant-garde or whatever. I mean, I felt like 93 to Infinity was definitely 
really pushing the envelope. It was kind of like that uniquely souls and mischief sound. It's kind of like high art, but still palatable to like your average guy or whatever. Yo, 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 just breaking up this episode to tell you all about the Crate 808 Patreon, a place where you can help support the show so we can make you more dope rap chat and to go out there and get some bonus episodes under your belt and also get involved with the live chats with the Crate 808 crew and guests. Go to crate808.com or go to patreon.com slash crate808. Sign up for as little as buying us lunch every month. You can get two bonus episodes, including hidden gem album reviews from the golden era of the 90s and also you get our series focusing on mf doom and jay dilla and also the wu-tang chronicles once a month we drop an album review of every single wu-tang member we're going to go through every solo album and then review it for you guys and right now it's ghostface go in there get them ghostface killer editions in your catalog so get involved help us grow this show and yes big yourselves up enjoy the rest of the episode boom what is it for you though that makes that song so special i think it's changed over time but i think it's the beat and you know i think that the 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 beat that a plus made is just so unique um it doesn't sound like anything else like that's really you know the thing that that's so great and why i think that 93 till infinity is stood the test of time as far as a song and 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 actually if you ask me it's it's grown i think it's way more popular than it was even when it first came out it's Mm -hmm. like deemed you know it's like a classic people consider a classic but i I, it always goes back to the beat the billy cobham sample this the melodic aspect of it the feel the vibe of it is just what's 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 so brilliant about it you know i think the hook is also another thing that's very catchy and very uh memorable and i think that had a lot to do with the success of it but the video had a lot to do with why people really like the song because i think the video is a perfect visual encapsulation of the song uh, michael lucero rest in peace who directed it it was his idea to take us into all these kind of like beautiful scenic places it goes with the with the song so perfectly and and it gives you the vibe of what exactly they're talking about in the song i think that the melody the melody of the fender roads mm. which i want to i want to say it was uh george duke playing it you know like there's a certain nostalgia feeling that that gives you and 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 i will i will say anyone who is a fan of 93 till infinity to go listen to the original billy cobb him heather is the name of the song it's a lot slower but it's one of the most amazing songs Mm -hmm. and it's very passionate it's a very moving song a plus was able to take the pieces of it that give you that kind of feeling of a time and place and reminiscing i think that's a big reason why people today still have such a feeling for it do you remember when a plus played it yeah yeah i I remember that time because we did all the songs that were demoed first it was one of the not the last i don't think it was the last song but it was one of the songs like all right what else do we got you know kind of thing Mm -hmm. and then he i remember a plane and i specifically sent him saying that he had played it for pep love and pep love was going to use it you know yeah and then you know the souls have this thing where they get first dibs and whatever and you know i don't think pep had any ownership when i've talked to pep about it like well i didn't think about oh this is my beat he didn't Mm -hmm. he barely remembered you know 
I remember him playing it and everyone was like, whoa, what's, you know what I mean? Like it definitely got, got a response where people were like, oh, we need to, we need to use this, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I remember that day in the studio for sure. But I think the real story, when the story, the real story of hieroglyphic is told, I think you have to talk about the influence we had on other, other artists, our peers. And, and it's great when you hear these people who basically were very influenced by us and then went and took that and went to the stratosphere with it, like Outkast, like Eminem, mm. like the Fugees, Lauren Hill. And I mean, like Kanye West, yeah. you know, I mean, there, there's a lot of a lot of people that came out of that time who followed us were certainly influenced by us, by them, you know, lyrically. That says a lot about, you know, maybe we didn't we didn't get to the to the level of success at those groups. But it makes me feel good knowing that part of their DNA is our DNA. Yeah. You know what I mean? People should know that aspect about it, not just, okay, yeah, they had that one or a couple good, huge songs and they're dope. But I think the real story of, of your impact is told and who follows you and who is influenced by you later on. And, and I think that that's probably, probably the greatest thing that you could say about us, in my opinion, is how we were we impacted groups that took it and went to larger heights than us. Now, before we move on, we need to touch on the special connection Hyro made with the world of skateboarding. Having their music featured on 90 skate videos from crews like Plan B was huge for hieroglyphics, and it made a certain Mike Seatown from Dead End Hip Hop look up and take notice. Here he is breaking down his huge fandom of Hyro and these three albums in particular. Take it away, Mike. So this Hyro run is one of the most important runs in hip hop to me. Like this was during a time where I kind of stopped listening to hip hop. I was a skateboarder and was listening to more punk and such. But that year, Plan B's skate video virtual reality dropped and it featured a bunch of hieroglyphic stuff, which led me to go down to the store and pick up 93 till infinity. And at this time, I had no idea that these guys were from the same crew. So upon listening to the album, I fell in love with it with the super interesting and dope production. Like Domino really has such a dope way of incorporating bass. And then you had these four dudes from my home state of California and all of them rapped in ways that was so different from what was on the radio. Like they weren't like Woo. You know, they weren't like Onyx or Pac or Snoop. They were totally different and weird and I loved it. You know, songs like This Is How We Do, What A Way To Go Out, Anything Can Happen, Batten Practice. You know, they were all dope, but it was limitations that got me because it featured Dell and Casual, two guys that were on virtual reality. So then I knew that all these guys that I heard that were dope were all friends. So I ran out and I got No Need For Alarm. And what was so attractive about this was Dell was one of the original cool weirdos in rap for me. Like, sure, he could spit, but he was goofy, he was charismatic, he was super smart, he was nerdy, he was into comic books and shit. And I love the way that the album came in with the strings and then that heavy bass and then, you know, Dell spitting, I'm the monster, coming in closer, I'll roast ya, not never worry about competition. Listen, it was so fucking ill. And then you had songs like Whack MCs and Wrong Place. Like, he had such a unique approach to hip hop which I learned later, of course, was a more updated version of Daylob. But, you know, from here, uh, I went out and got Fear Itself because I was looking for the two songs, A Little Something and Losing the End, which were both on the virtual reality video. And I got the album and I fell in love with it. Like the Dell album, I love the production and the way Casual approached rhyming. 
Like he had this weird voice that almost sounded like he had a cold or something, but it worked so well. And he was such a dope spitter. And I loved how he opened the album with a freestyle. You know, most MCs get beaten, defeated, I eat men. So dope. But yeah, to me, Hieroglyphics will always be special. You know, they really expose a lot of people to the fact that Cali wasn't all gangsters and lowriders and chronic. You know, some of it was nerdy dudes who were playing video games and just wanting to have fun out rapping each other, you know? And this was so important to me as a young weirdo black kid who was skateboarding, playing video games and reading comics, you know, to see these other black kids who were also into what I was into, but were also incredible rappers. It gave me a sense of normalcy. And I think it also brought in a whole flock of kids who loved that outside of the box feel that Hyro gave them. And to this day, I am still incredibly grateful for that. Check that brilliant insight from Mike himself. Big up. And on that skating tip, we had to tell Domino how Hyro changed the lives of one of our very own patrons in Sweden. Another one of our patrons, Anton Johnson, just want to hit big yourselves up because he said, um, hearing your music in skateboard flicks when he was 17, 18 in Sweden, a white kid in Sweden, born in 1993. He was born when these things came out, he's wanted to say thank you and much love to your crew. And I was like, I just want, I'm glad, I'm honoured to be able to relay that message to you because that's mad. This lad was born in 93. That's great, man. I'm always touched by people that who found it later. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. they, they were born when it came out. That's always super, super humbling, you know? And, and shout out to those skateboard videos because more people have found out about Hyro via those old those skateboard videos, in particular the Plan B videos. I always tell the story is that when we were on a 93 till infinity promo tour, mm. we were doing it record in stores. And then we would go, we were like in Philadelphia and some kid comes up, he goes, yeah, this record's great, but where do I get this song? Souls of mischief. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, what, what, what songs? Like, how do you know about that song? It was wow. in the plan B video. And I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. It's not on the record. That's we don't, we haven't released it or whatever. It didn't make the record or whatever. Damn. Oh, okay. We go to fucking Baltimore in store. Yay, this is great. But where do I get the song Souls of Mischief? And then it dawned on me just the impact that these, these skateboarders, because I was, you know, I know skaters and whatever, but I wasn't in the scene and I wasn't mm -hmm. watching any of these videos. And I kind of just, well, they were using our music. And then I gave some unreleased songs to shout out to Jake Rosenberg, who um, was the one who approached me about it. Mm -hmm. and, and he also uh, did videos for us as well. Mm. 90, uh, you never knew he did the you never, you never knew, video yeah. for us. So many people found out about Hyro via the, the Plan B skateboard videos or Tony Hawk video yes, game or whatever. Okay, but yeah. the connection with Hyro and skateboarding is is great, man. You know, like mm. I love all those individuals. I've been friends, became friends with a lot of those skaters, and just the kids in that community are just super. Some of the coolest individuals, big up to the skateboard community worldwide, like you say, like the man is Sweden. What yeah. up, man? Now that we've laid that massive groundwork, let's dig into other cuts off of the first album in this run. Hidden gems like Anything Can Happen or What A Way To Go Out may feature sublime flute breaks in quintessential jazzy beats, but souls reveal something deeper. A world where murder, tragedy and danger entwines with the teenage angst of simply having to go to school on a Monday. The group's inspired storytelling make them sound remarkably mature and fully formed from the start. Or you could talk about one of the most rewarding 
unwindable moments on the whole album, That's When You Lost. A manifestation of razor-sharp battle rap hardened the jazz hip-hop coming out from crews like Native Tongues, singling out Hyro as something exceptionally special. But let's hear from Domino on his favourite cuts from this classic record. But also, you know, what a way to go out. That beat, bro, the flutes on there are just unreal. Like, A plus again, yeah. killing it. Uh, no, it was you. That was yours, man. What a way to go out was yours, wasn't it? I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doom, doom. Yeah. What a way to go out. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's bro. bro. The one with the flutes is 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 anything can happen. That's it. That, yes, yes, yes. That's it. That's it. Mm, yeah. That's a, that's what, that was always one of my favorite songs on the record. Bro, let's go in on that then, because I know you've got Let Them Know, right? Let Them Know for me is one of my favorite tracks. The fact that you're opening this album, when did you know you'd be opening this album? Was no, that a big thing? No, no. We all kind of were in talking together about how we should sequence it. And I think the, I think the main reason why I let them know was the first song was because it had a hardness to it and it was super lyrical. It was like the, the idea was we wanted the record to start and people would be like, Whoa, you know? Yes. And, and so we would listen to these songs over and over and over. And we were like, we need to start it with this because it's like, you're irresponsible. No, you know what I mean? It was just like, it was like a kickoff. Yeah. You know, and then you had the two short would kind of represented Oakland a little. Tell me just what you know. We felt that consciously that we wanted to kick off with some some oomph. And I think that song was was naturally the one to do it. Damn. Yeah, absolutely. Hidden gems. Are there any on here where you would think people maybe need to talk a little bit more about? One of my favorite songs is Make Your Mind Up. I think people record, who like the record, that's one of their songs. Yeah. So I don't know if it's, if it's underappreciated, but I always love that song because the sample is amazing. And then like, you know, the... Yeah. It just, it's one of my favorite samples of all time. And then again, they're just doing their thing. They're just being, them, you know, hieroglyphic. Like the styles on that song, mm. you know, are amazing and yeah. i and I, I think that song really represents souls well that mm. that's definitely one of my favorites on the record if not the favorite my favorite song then that's when you lost because i know a lot of people talk about it but i do think that it's not talked about enough even though people do talk about it that's when you lost if you're making an argument for dell for being one of the best producer rappers ever casuals in there as well they're all got you know their shouts but dell is dropping That's When You Lost yeah. and yet coming mm-hmm. out and still doing stuff on all these other albums. I don't know, man. That that for me, I would say it's virgin on a near moment. Dell also made, he also made Make Your Mind Up. So and there you did. go. And he did. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? Like five mic moments. He's made a lot of, he makes really good beats. You know, I think the thing about That's When You Lost is very vintage MPC, uh, not MPC, SP 1200. Mm. It's like it, it's, it has, it's very, it's like, you know how the SP has a sound. Right. And you hear it on That's When You Lost. And that's why it's so hard because of those drums, of SP drums. Damn. And so like the first couple of records, that was, you know, that's definitely Dell's, you know, um, music making uh, device of choice. You hear it on that song, particularly the drums are just so hard. Yeah. And, and again, they come off, and one of the reasons why it was gonna, it was the first single. Is again, we felt like we need to establish them as as hip hop lyricist kids, and so, and that that's when you lost it was a natural kind of song to do it. I will say this though, we talked earlier about the original batting practice, and that was 
going to be the original first single for that was going to be the first single on the record for 93 till infinity instead of that's when you lost but again the sample didn't clear And then, of course, you know, we did, we ended up doing a, a different version on the record, but with the same hook. It's like that, Anna. You got a hieroglyphic space ball, bat, Anna. That was one of the reasons why it was going to be the first single was because of that hook. I think that version is so great, man. It always bums me out that we weren't able to use it. <laughs> Bro, I was, on, I was talking to Evidence, and we were doing the same thing. We were just sitting there going, God, it's so rubbish, that, that track. The original wasn't on the album. Yeah. Have you got over... The batting practice alternative that was on 93 till infinity. Never, never, <laughs> never, never. Fuck that. I hate the version on their album. Really? Oh, you're not, not even growing? Fuck. <laughs> Fuck that version. <laughs> the original OG is better. All day. OG version all day. People do go out and listen to that because it might just be one of my favorite Iro songs anyway. Just the original. It's just incredible, man. It, it, it is. It is. It's a great song. Taxi as well. Yeah. Like that must have been some hype when you're dropping this stuff, you know, like these things that aren't on albums, like Taxi must have been huge for you guys. Like people must have been like loving that when they first heard that. Yeah, well, you know, the, the early Souls Initiative demos were floating around, particularly in the skateboarder community uh, and just the community, the hip, you know, underground community, and people were trading them or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And so that song kind of people knew about, at least not nationally, but at least in our area mm -hmm. and in and wherever that these tapes ended up getting. Apparently, they, you know, they did get international people sending them to each other or whatnot. But right. Yeah, there was already such a buzz on the song because uh, already, and that was one of the main reasons why Jive signed the Souls was that song, you know? Yeah. It was another song called uh, Step to My Girl, which didn't end up going on the record, which is another yeah. song that were the two main, I think, songs on the, on the demo that attracted Jive to us. You know, we knew that that was going to be one of the songs I was going to get out there. Yeah. You know, but then again, sample clearance, Bob James initially said no. Mm. And and which is, you know, the, I, I see him all over on this track lib. Now he's like Mr. Sample. <laughs> yes, and, and, yes. and, and now he's all like, yeah, you know, and then he's actually using our song as one of the songs he talks about. No way. Which, if you look at there's a, a, a Bob James interview, I think Ninth mm. Wonder did it. Mm. And he's talking about they're going over uh, songs from his catalog. And one of the ones that he does is 93 and it is calf fair. And what was interesting about it was he obviously has no recollection that he said no to us about clearing it a and B he claims that it was a replay, which it wasn't. Oh. And so I, you know, I don't, I don't know if, you know, if Bob was getting a script and you know, Hey, respect to Bob James. He's, yeah. a, he's a genius and he's amazing, but he has it all wrong as far as yeah. the history of that song in regards to to him, you know, mm. but it is what it is. But yeah, that song, that sample didn't get cleared. Mm. And so that's why it didn't come out. 
Well, people, go out there, go YouTube, whatever, listen to it, and then tell everyone you know, because don't want these things to get lost, man. These are the little hidden gems. I don't want to stay hidden, you know? Now, before we move on, I just want to bring in fellow podcaster and rap nerd Dano from Free Music Empire, who had some key takes on the world Hyro created with this album run. Hello, this is Dano from Free Music Empire, weighing in on hieroglyphics. I'm here to tell you, most people would think of the hieroglyphics as the Wu-Tang of the West, with the depth of the membership and that level of the skill. I don't think that way. I think they are the dungeon family of the West. Because I had a conversation, East Coast hip hop head back in the day, who said he hated all West Coast and all Southern rap, except Dungeon Family, Hyro. Because there was something about Hyro that didn't sound as regional as a lot of West Coast did. And the depth of the world you could get into. Tajay's an all-time great MC, but he has to stand next to Casual, who's an all-time great MC. He has to stand next to Opio, who can dominate the room like Rakim when he's performing live. And that doesn't even get into how brilliant A-plus is and his solo work has been. So hieroglyphics was a world you could fall into the way you could with Dungeon Family when you were thinking about Witch Doctor and Sleepy Brown and just all these interesting people. Killer Mike. They've been able to build an empire that is tight-knit within that group of people. Hyro never ventured out, grabbed the hottest new kids. Hyro was that group and built from that group and dominated. And I always respected them for that. They didn't get too bloated to figure out what they wanted to do. Rhyme Sayers. Hieroglyphics likened to the Dungeon Family. I'm kind of loving that. Thank you, Dano. Now, let's touch on the second album in this run, 1993's No Need for Alarm by Ice Cube's cousin and Hyro founder, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Domino breaks down the lead up to this cult classic following Del's 91 debut, I Wish My Brother George Was Here, and how Hyro were inspired by legendary musician Bob James. See, what happened was, uh, if you notice, you know, Cube and DJ Pooh, but it was Cube's direction, produced the first record, right? Mm-hmm. If you check out the singles on the first record, they all had these B-sides that were a little bit more different or a little bit more toward what he ended up doing later, right? Yes. And so you had Burnt on one, you had Eye Examination on another, Undisputed Champs was a, was one. Undisputed Champs, maybe that was, maybe that came for the next record. But I, mm-hmm. regardless... The B-sides, I think if you look at Burnt and you look at Eye Examination, those are certainly from singles from the first record. The idea for those is that Dell had his freedom to do what he wanted to do without Cube's direction or Pooh's direction. This was a chance for him to do what he, what he was doing at home already with his crew. What ended up happening is that Dell wanted to continue to do that. He didn't want to do any more of the, the, the defunct stuff yes. you know and and so that's why he was basically cube was like all right do what you know do what you want to do you know mm. and they basically basically you know you know allowed him to do what he wanted to do on his second album and i think that what dell wanted to do was show that he wasn't just this mr dabalina sleeping on my couch rapper 
he was more like what the souls were doing because that's what he was doing as you can see on the b-sides you know and i think his peers were disappointed based on what they heard him doing at home and based on what they did on the first record and don't get me wrong right the first record to me is great and i think dell likes it and you know Mm. but i think that they wanted to do more progressive forward thinking more lyrical stuff and that's just what they wanted and so when the second album came around then it was basically all of us, the crew, basically the four souls, me, Casual, Pep mm-hmm. Love, and Jay Biz were there. And shout out to Matt Kelly, who was the engineer for all the records at High Street Studios. Um, big shout out to him because he had a lot to do with the sound. And I've said this before. I don't know if how familiar you are or your listeners are to the, the label CTI Records, which Bob James was on and mm-hmm. Idris Muhammad and George Benson. And it was like a very popular jazz kind of more fusion style label in, in the 70s. And one thing about those records is you do a Bob James record and then you'd have Idris Muhammad on drums. You'd have Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, you know, who have George Benson on guitar. It would be a Bob James record, right? And then you do an Idris Muhammad record and it had Bob James on keyboard. Yeah. It had George Benson on guitar. Yeah. And Idris, you know, and then you do a George Benson record and it had Bob J, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. that's what I liken it to was basically interchangeable group of musicians that were all recording at the same time, but there was just a different artist who was the, mm-hmm. the, the figurehead of the record. And so the Souls of Mischief, 93 Till Infinity record had all the same people producing it, participating in it mm-hmm. as casuals, as Dell. This is the whole reason why I wanted, when you said the three, three run, I felt like this made sense because they were basically one record being made at the same time. In particular, when the soul songs, there was a soul's direction, but it still was all the same players. When it was Casual's album, it was Casual's direction, but it was still all the same players. When it was Delroof's record, it was all the same players, mm-hmm. just his direction. Man, that's brilliant that you guys, the egos did not play a bigger part. Everyone has them, I'm sure. Hip-hop, you live by them, right? But the Mm -hmm. fact that you're not disagreeing or you're learning and you're taking things, if someone is the lead on this, bang, you know, we'll follow that lead. What is it then that they bring differently? Could you say like how they stand out from one another? Yeah, I mean, I think they all have different kind of things that that make them individuals. I think Casual has a little bit more of a harder edge Mm. than than the others. Um, I think Dell's a little bit more cerebral, a little bit more aggressive forward thinking. Ironically, Dell is involved in the biggest hit, which is Clint Eastwood, right? But yeah. I think Dell has the, the least, he's thinking the least about having hits, you know? Yeah. I think Dell's totally like, I want to do what I want to do and I don't care how different it is. I think the other guys are a little bit more conscious of commercial success. You know, <laughs> Tajay is like, you know, he's a su- he went to Stanford. He's a super intelligent wordsmith. He knows a lot about words. All the crew. I think one of the main things that thing that's consistent between them all is they all are very, very good with the English language. They all know the use of words and what words mean that aren't typical words. And I think that that shows and and they're cerebral as far as how they analyze other rappers. You know what I mean? Like, I remember when I got with them, I remember they were super into Chill Rob G. Right. And I was, you know, I liked Chill Rob G at first, but I wasn't like no huge fan of his. 
Mm-hmm. But then I, I peeped how much they liked him. And I realized it was because of, of the styles, the rhyme styles. Yeah. It wasn't just the words. Where when, Me as a, a fan of hip hop, I was more into specifically what people were saying. And so if somebody said something that didn't make any sense to me, that would be a turnoff to where they would be like, but peep how he's saying it, peep the styles, peep how he connects these words from this word. Yeah. They all were super analytical about the people they were listening to, like KRS-One. Mm. And like I said, Chill Rob G and Master Ace and, mm. and Dio's, whoever they were listening to. And they were all listening to everybody, right? They yeah. were, you know, they lived and breathed hip hop or they probably, you know, they still do. I'm not saying like mm-hmm. they're not here anymore. But at that time, it was like there was. You know, and and it was a smaller community at the time of what was being released. And so you were able to own everything and hear everything. Rock him, yeah. you know. Yeah. Big Daddy Kane. I know Kaz was a big Big Daddy Kane fan. These guys were studying all these dudes, mm. you know, and how they were doing things. And then they were taking that and they were giving their own flip on it. It is. I gotta say that about them all, is that they're all very they're all wordsmiths. And you know, you say they're about putting their own style on it. Just going back to 93 till infinity, I was listening to it. I, I can't remember, probably a track we've already talked to it on, but I remember there was something about, I can't go shoot that man because I've got school on Monday. And that just oh, hit yeah. me the other day where I was like, yeah. damn, like who else is talking like that? And who else is bringing that unique? That's you. Love how Domino explains the sheer energy of the Hieroglyphics crew. Now, let's talk about a slept-on, bona fide rap genius, Del the Funky Homo Sapien. The iconic Hiero symbol you see across the globe, that came from this guy's mind with his history of graphic design, as well as a whole new echelon of rhyming. And to give you some further insight into the greatness he was around at a very, very young age, here he is talking about hearing Ice Cube's verse on Fuck the Police. Where are you going from that, working with Jinx, CIA, and then getting to do stuff like Jacking the Beats and doing Kill It Will? I was just around for that. You know what I'm saying? Like, Cube used to always show me his raps and stuff anyway. Like, as he writing them, he would just be like, is this tight? You know what I'm saying? Like, I remember seeing Fuck the Police on some yellow paper, you know what I'm saying? Like, that they use in court or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I remember seeing that rap, like, damn, this rap is hella crazy. Like, because everybody say Fuck the Police, but ain't nobody said it in a song yet you feel me yeah but he would just let me his his folder used to say cubes money on it you know what i'm saying it'll just be full of raps he might not even use them he might use a rap like years later you know what i'm saying oh, so i'd just be around you know what i'm saying and if i was around i guess he kind of remember i guess he kind of respected my uh my pen you know what i'm saying so mm-hmm. like sometimes he just include me on shit just to be including me if i was around you know like you think you could write the last verse of this, you think you could write something about it? Like, yeah, let me do it. Just unreal. That's the making of an underground legend. Now, let's hear from hip-hop industry legend Dante Ross, a man who helped Dell release his first bodies of work on Elektra Records. Here he is speaking on the excellent Can't Not The Shuffle podcast with Sean Kantrowitz about how Dell made a number of classic B-sides for Hyro, like Burnt and Eye Examination, with the intention of leaving the zone Cube had worked to put him in, and how No Need For Alarm could have sounded oh so different had they let DJ Muggs helm the project. He didn't want to be Ice Cube's Frankenstein anymore, right? He's like, I'm going to do me. So the B-sides were his chance to do that. And Hyro was making one kind of music and he's the central figure in Hyro, but he's making a different kind of music. And he wanted to make music that was more what his crew was making. And in the process, Ice Cube turned his back on him. He delivered the second album with very a lot of the same songs 
And I literally remember meeting Ice Cube and Ice Cube was like, I can't fix this. You got, that's you. I got shit to do. I was like, okay. He's like, Dell ain't fucking with me. And I also suggested DJ Muggs do the record. And for some reason, we never, we never made that call. I think Muggs had blown up too much at that point. I don't think we ever even had the conversation. And that record underperformed a bit. The first record sold better, but critically, it was hailed as a great record and it was embraced by a certain segment of the world. It's one of the tenants in West Coast underground rap, right? It's like that record, the first Souls record, Freestyle Fellowship, those are like blueprints for a certain school of West Coast rap. Muggs on a Hyro album in 1993. Mind blown. But with incredible five mic moments like thank yous, worldwide, catch a bad one, don't forget, miles to go, no more worries, and the title track itself, No Need for Alarm, has proved to be one of the most complete albums in hip hop history with hardly a skip on it. He even disses a goat like LL Cool J and Wack MCs. Dell really was on a level. And let's not even talk about the classic artwork of Dell becoming the sheer personification of all the rap weirdos out there with his piercings and joints on show. Dell truly made you feel that if you dared step, you would get your hair swept. But what does Dell himself think of this cult classic now? We spoke to him on that exact subject. People that was around me that were like hip hop nerds, I guess, they kind of thought that I sold out lightweight with my first album. They just didn't appreciate Parliament. They thought only gangsters were supposed to rap over Parliament or some dumb shit, right? So I kind of felt like depressed over that, you know what I'm saying? So like with my second album, I was really trying to just show motherfuckers like, nah, I, I could I could just get on down on some regular hip hop shit too, you know what I'm saying? But my way, you feel me? Like I felt like I was really into it and maybe some of them wasn't even really into it like that, like I am. Like they, I felt like they didn't even really understand the shit. So I, I guess I was trying to prove a point with the second album. So that, that, basically, that basically was what it was, you know what I'm saying? Just really me trying to just show what I could do. How do you look at that album now when you look back on it? I think some of the shit that I said was just kind of um, abrasive, I guess. But I was just talking shit, though. You know mm. what I'm saying? Like, none of it was hella serious like that. Mm. But, you know, some some things that I said, I just feel like, nah, like that didn't really represent what I was really talking about. But I was young, though, you know what I'm saying? But for the for the most part, though, nah. I mean, like, uh, I stand by it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. that that was a, that was a goodie for show. It just showed everybody that I wasn't no just one trick pony. It's pretty wild to hear how Dell seems a bit down on the album, but he still clearly knows how good it is standing the test of time. But let's see what Domino has to also say on this record. Here's the thing, right? I would not put down his first album at all. I think it's an amazing record, right? It's an amazing record. The thing about No Need for Alarm is that I believe that if he wouldn't have established himself as this lyrical, progressive MC, and it's who he truly was, right? I don't think his career would have went the way that it went. Because I think that as great as I wish my brother George was here is, it's still only he was kind of known as Mr. Dabalina guy. And, and all the singles, none of them, they were all kind of catchy, sleeping on my couch and Dr. Bombay with the singers. And, and I think that if he would have continued to be known for that and continue to do records, I think he would have phased out and no one would have cared. His direction, and along with the other guys in Hyro, was where hip hop was going. And he saw it and that's where he wanted to go. 
if he wouldn't have put out No Need for Alarm, I don't think he would have had the longevity that he had. People appreciate when you're being different. They appreciate when you're you're being progressive and you're not just doing radio hits or things that are deemed as attempting to be on the radio. I think that then the automators of the world wouldn't have been wanting to work with Dell if he didn't do Catch a Bad One. What are the tracks then that you love, like you will rewind all the time? Worldwide is one that I really like. The one with the, with the casual, I think, did the beat in, in a Unicron with the Unicron on it. When did you hear first Unicron? When did you hear that? Did he tell you he was doing he, it? He, he, did, he, did, he did some songs, demoed some songs where he, like, he did the Unicron character before. In fact, one of my favorite songs, and I think it might be the last time he did a song with Unicron, was a demo he did. That might be on Hyrule Oles. It's called Honestly. Right. You, you can probably find it online. And that has a Unicron on it too. But he used to, he used to do his, that character here and then. Yeah. So I had, heard, I had heard it before and then he did it on, on, on Worldwide. Now, for people who don't know about Unicron, it's not just a Transformers reference. Dell decided to pitch up his own vocals and create a whole new persona on the track Worldwide way before the likes of Eminem and DMX took it to the global masses. Thing is, not many people knew it was him. Here he is breaking down this thought process on the whole thing and how sonic experimentalism like Music Concrete inspired him. I was a fan of just audio entertainment. I knew from listening to people that you could change the pitch of your voice by slowing the tape up or speeding the tape up, you know what I'm saying, and yeah. slow it back down to, you know what I'm saying, little tricks like that, mm. which really is like some music concrete shit, you know what I'm saying, now that I think about it. They was doing shit like that, fucking around with tapes like that. You know what I'm saying? Making shit sound hella crazy and shit. Yeah. Lightweight scratching, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Sampling lightweight before sampling was even a thing, you know what I'm saying? So like that's that's where I came up with Unicron, just trying to try that little technique just to see if I could do it, what it would be like. Because yeah. I had a four-track recorder, so I'm like, okay, I could do that. I could record something at a fast speed or whatever, or a slower speed and then play it right regular mm. and then it'll sound my voice will sound sped up just yeah. to try to do it let me think what else do i really like from that record thank you i really like my god that's one of my favorite tracks of all that's time the, it's very a plus that that's the crusaders it's a great a plus was really good at finding those fender road melodies in his beats at that time I like oh. that one. I I I think um, Dante uh, SDs did um, mm. did a boo boo heads. That was done at the end of the the process because we felt like he needed some more kind of hooks on the record, right. and so that was one of the ones that we that that he ended up doing. Like that, those might have been the last two songs. He, you know, one of my favorite songs on the record didn't make it. Was a song called Pistol Whippers. I think it might be floating around. Right, it's called Pistol Whippers, and he goes. He goes, I'm going to pull a pistol and I bet nobody will blow the whistle. It's, it's it's out there if you find it, but that was that was always one of the songs that I was really disappointed 
that didn't make it. And again, I believe it was because of sample clearance because he was talking about guns, whoever, you know, if Mm -hmm. I, if I remember correctly, then there's the standards that I think are great. You know, catch a bad one's an amazing, amazing song, man. That's that cello. And and he's cello. Right. Yeah. It's just such a great beat by casual shout out to casual. I, I will say this. I never really loved my beats on that record. Like once it came together, I always felt like my, I, I wasn't like totally loving the songs that I did for some reason. Like, I don't know why now. Don't, you know know, I mean? but don't forget. Yeah. Don't forget is one of my favorite. And I've said that for quite a few tracks today, but don't forget was one of the first ones I fell in love with on this album. I yeah. love that. And no need for alarm. Like, come on, man. That is no more worries. One of yours as well. I think, come on, man. No more worries and no need for alarm. And, Jesus. And, and, yeah, no, okay. Oh, come on, man. Like the I don't know. Maybe, or... maybe, you know, I'm not sure why, you know, maybe sometimes you get too close to songs and, or maybe yeah. you want it to be a little different, but I hear you. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just personal. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't, I'm not mad at them. Like, I don't feel like they embarrass me or anything, but like, oh, yeah. for some reason, those aren't the main songs that I'm attracted to when I listen to the record. In the car now, when I hear um, No More Worries and Casual on there is unreal. They're all unreal. But the thing with Casual, you, I think there's a flourish on there where you start bringing some keys in on his verse that I went in there yeah. earlier. Automatically, I'm going five miles extra an hour. Like, I'm just going to just press a little bit. You need to know that this still you know, hits us You know, hard, You know so. what it is about No More Worries that just bothers me? And this is totally 100% personal producer shit. I don't like how the drums are mixed. They're right. too tinty for me. Maybe a little too loud. And that's okay. just personal, right? And so every time I hear it, I hear it that way. Like, damn, I should have turned down them drums a little bit. For instance, let them know, uh, let them know the third snare clashes with another snare, right? Man, most people wouldn't notice that. It's like, instead of like the snare hitting together, it kind of clashes with the loop. I had a drum loop and I had a, uh, maybe it was two loops or maybe I had a snare over the loop. Mm. But there's one part where it goes, and like, that's normal, right? Like, you know, especially once Woos, when RZA's hurt, you know, is known for that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But for me, it bothered me. Yeah. It bothered me that that snare wasn't quite matching right in time. So every time I would hear it, I'd hear that. Yeah. And no one else in the world cares, but it bugs me. <laughs> 20, 30 <laughs> years later, it bugs me. It wasn't like it was after. I remember hearing it when I was, oh. you know, laying it down and then, for whatever reason, I didn't, I was like, eh, you know, like, or somebody was like, it's not that, it sounds fine, you know, or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably does sound fine, right? But mm. that was in my head at that time. And so right. it never will leave because I always <laughs> hear that. I tortured myself. I should have fixed it. Domino showing his perfectionist tendencies right there. And you know what? I love him for it. Now it's time to jump to my man, Nate LeBlanc, from one of the podcast world's most premium shows, Dad Bod Rap Pod. Here he is explaining why he's actually obsessed with this crew. Hieroglyphics means so many different things and people and entities. Um, I'm obsessed with hieroglyphics. I'm from the Bay Area of California. Musically, they did a lot of their best work when they were on major labels. Jive was the label home for a lot of their work as um, solo artists and group artists. But when they founded Hieroglyphics Imperium as an independent label and launched one of the first websites in hip hop, that's when they really came into their own as entrepreneurs. Um, And so if you fast forward from that early web 1.0 moment up to now where they're launched their own cryptocurrency, Hyrocoin, um, you just see that these are creative, ambitious, driven group of men who are both great artists and really forward thinking 
um, business people in the hip hop space. And to me, when I hear about hieroglyphics, I just think that they're a complete inspiration of how to live a complete life. And they've also made a lot of music that I really love. Those are some deadly lyricists. Um, it's not all about uh, minting NFTs these days. They'll still break you down in a battle, especially casual. So um, yeah, love hieroglyphics. Great group. Absolutely excellent breakdown there from Nate. Big up, bro. Next, we dive into the third album of this run, 1994's Fear Itself by Casual. Yet another cult classic record from the Hyro Collective, one that makes a statement from the off. As Casual states, he raps, and when MCs bite, he claps, because their shit just sounds better now. Yes, the album is a cascade of relentless bars and virtuoso beats that cemented Casual as a producer-rapper in the Premier League of hip-hop. Working as an elite lyricist, Casual brought a more raw dimension to the crew, and here he is explaining the group's motivations on the superb Take It Personal show. I think we were really inspired by guys who were deeper than the average rappers. So we were inspired by, you know, the lyricists, the big word rappers, all of the uh, all the native tongues and a lot of New York MCs, as well as a lot of the guys uh, from the Bay Area, Too Short being the majority of our fa- favorites, you know, at that time. And so that right there is going to make a different combination that will result in producing a different type of MC, somebody bumping Too Short and G-Rap back in 88. We didn't want to be considered kiddie rappers we didn't want to like we knew how young we were and we so we just wanted to make sure our content was the level of content that could give a contribution coming from the west coast that could give some sort of a lyrical standard for what you should you know assume that mcs on the west coast are doing we didn't want to misrepresent we already knew everybody thought we didn't have lyrics i mean you know at that age you even try to make your voice deeper because you're trying to sound like you're finished maturing and you're a man and and you know some of it was just raw skill too we were just i was at an age where i didn't edit much of my lyrics and I didn't filter a lot of my thoughts I just would write raps in like 10 minutes man big up take it personal for that interview go check that out I love how casual even tried to change his voice amazing let's jump back in with Domino as he explains how fear itself perhaps didn't blow up as much as it could have the main thing that that I think did their album a disservice it came out too late the first single I don't know if you can look this up but the mm. first single which was that's how it is Mm -hmm. that may have came out in early 93 because it came out with the other first singles it definitely was early 93 it could even possibly be late 92 but i think it was Mm -hmm. early 93 casual's album was probably a year old before it came out and i felt like that kind of hurt it if it would have came out like at the same time as the other ones it probably would have done a lot better because I think it's as strong as the other ones. Yeah. I think, you know, it doesn't have its 93 till infinity on it, of course. By the time that it came out, to me, it was dated a little bit. Mm. You know, a year is a long time in hip hop. That being said, right, man, I love that record. You know, I used to say this in interviews back in these, these times when people would ask me to describe Calgary. I mm. said, he's hip hop hard. And what I mean by that is by that time, gangster hard was so prevalent. Casual was likening back to the the Rakims, the Runs, the Big Daddy Kane, where they had a hard persona, but they weren't rapping about shooting people. EPMD, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They may mention guns here and there, Mm -hmm. 
Mm. That don't slow them up. I carry a full pack. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But they weren't glorifying being hard and gangster. That's just their presence was that way. And that's how hip hop was. Then after that, being hard means you was a street dude and you were pistol whipping people and selling drugs. Like, you know what I mean? Mm. And so I felt like at that time, and that's so by 93, I felt like that was prominent, more prominent. And I mm. felt like casual was like back to when, where, when what hip hop hard meant like aggressive that made like manly strong, you know? And so he was able, he's super lyrical and he also had some dope stories and he was a lot of, did a lot of thought provoking things. Yeah. You know, I really like on that record, um, uh, you flunked. What a beat. Giving you all a big F, you know? Yeah. Those are all casual beats too. Um, Get off it. I know Go you know you want it, want it. Get off, get off it. it. Yeah. 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 Those yeah. are all demos. Those are all demos. Oh, um, I like those two songs. Follow the funk. Yeah. We're all on this demo. I think I didn't mean to. Is a great story. Mio Mayo was you? probably one of my favorites that I did. Yeah. I, I'm here. Another your... one I did that I really like is Who's Man. Yes. Yes. That beat stands the test of time. Absolutely. Like, I, you know, certain. Certain beats you hear that when you listen to them 20 years later, you're like, that's still, <laughs> you know, yeah. and that was yeah. one that I felt like, yeah, that, that was another demo song. Losing the end is, is just another one changes the way you walk, man changes the way you walk. That's you bro as well. That's you as well on that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, losing I, love, the end. That- I did, I did like seven or eight songs on that record. So I did a lot. I did, um, mm. B thousand got it like that. Got it like that. Yeah. I really like that sample. Thoughts too. of the Ding. thought falls into the world. Thoughtful to Thoughtful. Yeah, yeah. That was the B side of the first single. Yeah. yeah. I like but again, yeah, Thoughts of the Thoughtful. It's another album that you can go with the beats, you can go with the samples, but when you hear Chain Minds and the hook to Chain Minds, like, okay, maybe a lot of people don't look at Hyro for hooks, but I think the hooks are heavy. Like the hook to Chain Minds is wicked. Yeah. Really informative intricate complex themes and he's 1718 like jesus yeah. christ man like you're 1718 and you're trying to tackle stuff about why i need to be strapped in the hood and like the artistry cannot be slept on on fear itself on any of these records to be fair uh, that's how it is is another one where and i know there's a part two to that with a plus on there right well there's a remix right and the remix is incredible right the right. remix which casual did is the Stretch and Bobito used to run that a lot. They yeah. loved that version. That was like their favorite version, Bobito's. Yeah. And then the part two was on the B side, which is to this day one of my favorite Hyrule songs. Him and A Plus. Yes. The rap, they, I mean, the, the lyrics on that song, man. A Plus is here to bust a rapper. That's my given purpose. I'm yeah. slap you. You're living worse. It. Boy, you're not. Oh, man. Yeah. I hate that song, man. Fascinating to hear how MCs were already diversifying in terms of hardness in early 90s hip-hop and, of course, Domino's choice cuts from Fear Itself. Now, it's time to hear from rapper, producer and podcaster Uncommon NASA on how Hyro impacted him like nobody else as he resided on the East Coast. 
I wanted to talk about sort of a combo of three album runs, which is the Hieroglyphics run. When all of those records came out, I was a sophomore in high school. You know, that was the first time I heard like hip hop that kind of reflected like what I was living or, or feeling like every day. You know, the style of those guys, the way those guys dress, the way those guys, even the way those guys talk, even though they're from the other opposite coast, like it just fit with the graffiti you know, hardcore hip hop lifestyle that I was living, just being a, a heavy duty backpacker, you know, as a kid before that was even a term for anyone. <laughs> I mean, just the way that those guys were able to make jazz samples fresh again, you know, they completely turned sampling jazz on its ear as 93 and 94 kicked in you know when you listen to the original records that they sample there's always like a crazy flip there's hardly anything that is just straight up piece for piece and even when there is it's something that is such a out of a non-hip-hop context out of a very heavy jazz sort of context that is just given this heavy hip-hop b-boy vibe by the drums that they would add i mean a lot of a lot of these three album run conversations are going to be around one group that puts together a run every two years or maybe three three albums in five years or three albums in six years from that era i get to talk about a run that's three albums inside of a year almost practically inside of six months and you're talking about 93 to infinity the single you know i mean that that shit changed lives the other thing that i wanted to mention is just like the souls of mischief uh documentary is really good it really kind of reminded me of like the bidding war not just for souls of mischief the fact that the industry was geared to find people like them then is kind of mind-blowing at this point you know like it, it's it's really interesting that just being raw talented would land souls of mischief and casual deals with jive after you know dell was already in place with electra and I'm, I'm gonna leave with a shameless plug go and check out my new stuff uncommonnasa.com uncommonrecords.bandcamp.com peace man big up uncommon nasa you can feel the love in his voice when he talks about hyro and talking about hyro's timelessness let's listen to domino talk about how their star has shone even brighter as time has passed with superstars like j cole using their music in the modern day like how many people have tackled 93 till infinity j cole definitely he's done it twice i think uh you've got mac miller you got Freddie Gibbs, you got like Joey Badass. The real test, and here we are talking about it still, it's the test of time, man. You know what I mean? 93 to infinity the song, it stands up. Mm. And a lot of it is because our mindset was to not was to add to the culture. Yeah. Don't do something, don't just regurgitate what other people were doing. Do your own shit. Be original. Mm. When, you know, and it mattered then. And I think if you do that, you know, hopefully someone will catch on to it. But I think if you do it and people do catch on, that's going to have staying power. I always make this compare, you know, this point, right? There's no diss on this dude and rest in peace to him. But do you remember when the when the source mics mattered? And yeah. I remember we were upset because in the source, they gave 93 till infinity a 3.5. I saw that. But they gave, they gave Apache a four. Rest in peace, Apache. You know what I mean? Mm. But I don't think anyone today would say that Apache's record is as good as 93 till infinity i mean i like gang the bitch i like the record it's not i'm not just dissing it totally but i think that we transcended you know the era and and i think that sometimes you're ahead of people yes you know, people don't recognize but ultimately once you know you get 10 15 20 years later what are people bringing back 
man, I remember that you guys even did a comic book. This is how ahead of yeah, things you were, yeah. like with casual. Yeah, like, we did comic book for the release. Yeah, yeah, fear itself, yeah, and, and it was it was basically telling the story of I didn't mean to in the comic book. That was I remember, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have some of those still. Oh, damn, really? That's yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Man, I gotta get my hands on one of those comic books. But now let's cut to our friends at the Weird Rap Podcast as they talk about this incredible three-headed monster of an album run. I was down with Dell and I'd seen the high row symbol and was familiar with it. And then 93 till infinity dropped and <laughs> I was like, dude, I didn't even know cats were this passionate about rap. You know, it's just like, I've got to get all this out. The rap is coming out of me. I had to build in a set of expectations. I'm not going to lie for no need for alarm. I wish my brother George was here. It was so deep rooted in funk that I was expecting step two of that for no need for alarm. But I was pleasantly surprised. Cat was just sort of the perfect third cherry on top of this three-headed monster. Casual is just on some like bars. He's like, you and I are gonna rap against one another and I'm gonna rap better than you every time. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm gonna sound better than you. I'm gonna have better metaphors than you. And I'm gonna make it look effortless while I'm doing it. I think that's what got me about Fear itself. It just sounded so effortless. It was just such a confident album. Did you guys click with their sound right away? The first Souls album I got right away, but I think Dell's second album and like Soul's second album and Casual, like it took me a minute for it to click. Exactly. And then I got obsessed after that, but it like, it, it didn't like hit right away. Totally. They're all very different. They each have a really unique, but there's something that's unified amongst the high row sound. It's kind of like similar to Project Bloat, where like they have this umbrella of this like aesthetic universe, hard to penetrate and decipher or replicate. Yeah, people ended up figuring out the Wu-Tang code, I think, but the high road code or the Project Load code was never broken. Yeah, you definitely, amongst the three projects, you hear a common like dialect, kind of an accent. I feel like it's very based in freestyle or, you know, off the top rapping. I feel like that informs a lot of their rhyme schemes and you hear a lot of similarities between them all. But I remember the No Need for Alarm album. I asked for it for Christmas and it was under my Christmas tree and my parents had left the house probably like, I don't know, a week or two before Christmas. I I snuck it out. I like was able to like peel off the wrapping paper and uh, that was my little uh, my little secret gift to myself. <laughs> but yeah, it didn't hit me at first. I didn't know what to expect. It took me a good three or four listens before I really started appreciating it. And same with casual. But that one, yeah, the casual one, I feel like it really had like the catchiest beats maybe out of the three. Yeah. He also had these vocal hooks that kind of got stuck in your head more than the rest. He was really good with the catchy element making it look effortless is a great way of describing hyro generally big up weird rap another landmark moment in hyro history is their rap battle with sophia and his crew hobo junction stemming from some beef regarding features and sophia's appearance on fear itself the hyro doc till infinity and shamari smith's short film the battle have some incredible footage of the drama so please make sure to go check those out but what are domino's thoughts on the whole battle and where it stands for hyro let's see 
I just remember it was just like super frantic and a lot of tension, right? You know, it wasn't like the normal battles now that were like people kind of get along and they, you know, they're just kind of battling like the verses. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. You know, they, everyone likes each other. We didn't like each other, you know, and it's very evident if you listen to the, to the you know, the radio recording mm-hmm. of it. I have to say that my feelings about the battle are, are not positive. And, right. and, and it's for this reason alone is I feel like I look at those dudes freestyle like nobody's business. Right. Mm-hmm. And I've heard them freestyle for years and years and years, particularly in that era. I was honestly disappointed in our performance. Right. Oh. And, you know, Safir had written, he had specific, he was saying specific things. And so the debate of whether that mattered, written versus the, mm-hmm. the freestyle or whether that should matter, that's not for me to say. But I will say that we chose to come off the top and I don't feel like, for instance, and I was just talking to Tajay about this the other day. Right. I was like, Tajay, that's literally the worst freestyle I ever heard you say, period, before or since. Because uh-huh. he was so hyped and so like, ah, mm. that he, he, he just couldn't, he, you know, he just like almost uh, overheated himself. I'm not trying to like make excuses, but that's what I took from it. I was like, damn, man, like, mm. and it's still debatable who won, but regardless, I felt disappointed in our performance. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I felt like, man, written or no written, it should be no question of who's the better MCs. You know what mm. I'm saying? The fact that there was even a question was disappointing to me because I knew how much better they are as MCs and Safir and the rest of his crew. I mean, the rest of his crew didn't even do anything. So, you know, but it's really just Safir. But I knew deep down how much better they are than him. Mm. And I felt like we, it, it shouldn't even have been a contest. We were lackluster compared mm. to our abilities. And that's how I feel about it. And whenever yeah. anyone talks about the battle, that's the feeling I get in my stomach about it. So unfortunately it isn't a positive, like, you know, mm. I know the, the, you know, it's part of the culture now. And it was like, you know, back when no one was really battling, I don't have a good taste in my mouth whenever that, that topic comes up. Let's put it like that. Damn, man. Well, I'm sorry for bringing it up. First of all, no, no, it's fine because it means something to everyone. And so that's fine. And it meant something to whoever it means something to you. This is totally a personal feeling. Go and listen to some of the the freestyles on Stretch and Bobbito and then compare to what happened that night. Like, you know, there's a lot of evidence of how great these guys are freestylers. And that ain't one of them. You know, casual. Don't get me wrong. Like casual said, some he was coming tight on a lot of. You know what I mean? He wasn't. It wasn't like he, you know, messed all over himself. But you know, Mm -hmm. I just think that the ability. And you know, I will say this: the night before that battle, I said, "Hey, casual man, you you might want to write some shit because Safir is going. Safir is just going to be all written. Mm -hmm. It's going to be specific. And you might want to eat." And casual's like, "Nah, nah, I'm I'm gonna keep it off the top. You know, I'm not writing nothing." Because you know what? A lot of people don't know this. There's actually a, a, a video of it online, but Safir and Casual battled the weekend before that at a casual show in San Francisco. And apparently Safir was on the wake up show talking mess that same night. Right. Mm. And was kicking some of the raps that he ended up kicking. And so anyway, he comes. They're at the door. Security is not letting them in. I come to the door. And I said, let them in. Okay, they're going to battle, right? Mm-hmm. And so they had the battle on stage and Safir kicked them same raps. And so I knew, mm. I knew that, and, and I don't remember much because I remember I was doing the sound <laughs> at the yeah. time. Yeah. And I don't remember much about the specifics of like of what Casual said that night or whatever. And again, mm. there's a video somewhere of it. But I knew that Safir was 
had all this stuff. Safir had all this stuff that was specific to casual that he said on stage. So I knew that he was going to do that. Yes. When it came to when, when it came time to go up to the wake up show, I was like, oh, yeah, he's going to have written. You should write. You should write something about him. And but Kaz was like, nah, I'm mm. going to keep it off the top. But even when you hear the intro to fear itself, that's how pure he was at it. You know, it's about freestyling. It's about off the dome. This is and yeah. that purity, maybe as you said, it might have hamstrung you. But I think there's some poetry to that where you're like, damn, this guy just so much honorable just yeah. to keep it like that. And I know that, like that intro, said, that intro is off the top. Fear self intro, it's a freestyle. That's definitely off the top. And I don't even doubt that, but I don't even doubt it. Hey, what's up? This is Black Thought, and you are now rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, 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 yo. This is Stretch Armstrong. Ooh-wee! My name is Bobito Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. You're now listening to Crate 808. Hey, yo, what up, y'all? This is Prince Paul, and you're rocking with Crate 808 Podcast. Yo, it's EV Evidence, Dilated Peoples. You're rocking with the Crate 808 Podcast, my favorite shit. Let's go. Yo, what's going on, y'all? This is Master Ace from Brooklyn, New York, and you're checking out the Crate Great 808 podcast, real hip hop. But tell me this then, right? If you did do a versus, who goes against Hyro? Somebody asked me this before, and, and, and to me, the, the one that makes sense that kind of a similar trajectory mm-hmm. would be Boot Camp. I think oh. that, you know, some people say Woo, but come on, man. You know, Woo is one of the bigger groups in, in hip hop, period. You know, yeah. so I, 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 I never, we would get washed. By anyone in Woo. So 20 for definitely 20. Not Woo. 20 for 20, eh, I don't know. It depends on the crowd reaction, right? And all that. Yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is, is Woo's hits are all, other than 93, there's not really any hits that are bigger than the rest of Woo's catalog. I feel you know you. what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. the reason why I say boot clamp, because there's a certain kind of um, parallel to, to them and us. You know what mm. I mean? Like they're East Coast, we're West Coast. It was a crew of different solo artists let's make it happen people come on i want to see that but <laughs> it's a celebration as well though right that's that's the beauty of it like watching that video again of the hobo junction stuff that battle it was the temperature was high you could tell just watching the video so it's quite nice when they're celebrating this stuff you were talking there about jive though and um one thing i did want to ask it's interesting where hyro went after this run I wanted to ask you, how did you guys react and feel when people like Casual were, you know, coming off the majors? Was there an element of pressure or or fear, especially after what you've just done? Was there any of that around? No, because we felt we had a negative taste in our mouth about our major label experience, right? And so the initial plan was that we were going to put out a crew record on our own label, and then that would springboard to show that we could do the main problem we had with our labels was that we felt like they felt like they knew what was best for what what type of music what should be marketed and what should be promoted and so we felt like we do this record is independent record then we'll have enough clout so we can sign major deals but be able to lead our own direction because we've proven that we can do it ourselves. And so, but what ended up happening is the, the, the experience on the, on the first indie record was so good as far as the amount of money we were making. We felt like, oh man, we don't need no major label. That plan, as soon as Third Eye Vision came out and it, and it started having success, it came out in 98. You know, the idea was, okay, now let's put our individual shit. I don't even think anyone thought about getting signed anymore because we realized not only are we making more money? We own our masters. We own our publishing. We have our own company. You know what I mean? And so we realized that that was the way. 
you could get it out to people with the advent of the internet. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? We were the be- at the beginning of the internet. We were one of the first musical groups with a web with a website. It's kind of a perfect storm with where the industry was, where the where the web worldwide web starting, mm-hmm. and us doing it and having this direct link to our fans who were like, "Damn, I like them. What happened? Where they go? Yeah, oh, they're over here now." And people had a place to find us. And we can tell them, hey, we're doing this record. We're doing this is about to come out. This verges onto one of our Patreon uh, listeners. Uh, one of our patrons was basically hitting us up. And it just mm-hmm. verges onto what you said. Daniel Only, big up. He said, um, the group comes together from deals that go left with mainstream labels. When forming Hyro, how conscious was everyone that this label would be naturally different? And they all, as a group need to lean into that maximizing you know the unique format and personalities that you have the idea initially dell was dell was the only one who wasn't dropped when we first started this right mm-hmm. and so the idea was we were basically going to do this indie record and we were going to use all dell's pub and dell doing it in all of his interviews to just talk about his indie record right you know what i mean we were like we're going to springboard dell's marketing yeah yeah and we're gonna just you know, hijack that. Mm-hmm. So when Dell's in interviews, he's going to be like, yeah, yeah, cool. But buy third high vision on my label. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, yeah, like we knew, you know, since Hyro, the crew has always been a thing, but we never did just Hyro crew songs, really. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of them that had a bunch of members, but we were like, let's do a whole album. What I did was I compiled all the demos that everyone was making or just the music that was floating around from everybody and gave everyone in the group a, a copy of it and was like, look, this could be a Hyro album already. It was like eight or nine songs Wow, that were... You know, you know, some of them were like After Dark was one of them. Mm-hmm. We demoed that. See the Light was another one. I forgot. There's a bunch of others. But so mm-hmm. I get in. Everyone was like, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And I remember taking it to Matt Kelly, the engineer who had enge- engineered our first three, re- you know, the, those other three records that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, I'm on board. I said, maybe you can hook up. And he helped hook up studio time. And then we were all started focusing on the internet and going on Hyro Hoopla, which was like the early, you know, hip hop chat board, mm. you know, where Will I Am was on there a lot. Wow. I know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, and basically interacting directly with fans and saying, hey, we're doing this now. Mm. And then selling our Hyro oldies and Hyro B sides mixtape. You know what I mean? And we were selling these online and, and selling our shirts. And that was funding our independent thing and everybody was kind of like-minded of how we were going to make this work and since we were making it initially collective as a crew we were able to basically we had those three groups that we're talking about plus pep love Mm -hmm. uh, and j biz we had now we had hyro you know not just hyro the crew but hyro the group and then we were the plan was like all right and then after that everyone's gonna put out their records next let's do dell first and then we're gonna do so you know like that was all planned out and everyone yeah. knew that their time was next, you know. That uh, that foundation to then see stuff like High Road Day now, which is just huge over there. And not just over there, worldwide. Domino, this has just been, I could talk for even longer, but I know uh, we've took so much of your time. This has just been amazing. Thank you for just breaking these amazing, amazing pieces of art with us down, man. People, go check out those out. Go check out Hyro. Go check out all of it, man. And it's all worth your time. So before you go, I'll ask you what I ask everyone. Domino, man, what is the last great piece of music you heard could be old could be new just the last great piece of music oh good question um let's see what was i listening to yesterday 
Well, I don't know if this counts, but earlier this morning, I was listening to P-Rock discuss when he made uh, uh, The World Is Yours. Now it's The World Is Yours, Ooh. and which is obviously a great piece of music. And yeah. so I, I don't know if that counts. I wasn't listening to the song, but listening to P-Rock tell his, his, his the story behind it and yeah. the large professional bringing Nas over listening to discs and blah blah you know what i mean yeah yeah so I'll, I'll, i'm letting so, it go domino man another yeah. a, a legend saying that about another legend i'm absolutely here for it that's fine so yeah but thank you yeah. domino uh much love and yeah hopefully we catch you soon doors are always open if you want to jump on again if any of the crew are doing anything hit us up but yeah man just keep doing you and thank you for the music man yeah thank you and thanks to everybody who's still supporting high roll from 93 till all day bro all day peace 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 bro this was a Crate 808 production co-produced by Intricate Management, all music supplied by Grindhouse Music. <laughs>